Hello, and welcome to The Bite, Hope Brooklyn's weekly podcast for bite-sized spiritual thoughts to inspire you as you center your life around God's great story. Thanks so much for listening. We're reading Matthew 2, verses 9 through 12. And after they, meaning the wise men, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What I find so fascinating in this little section is the temperament of the wise men. The wise men were not Jews. They were not awaiting the king of Israel, and yet they were able to interpret the stirring in the world and trace it back to the Jewish Messiah. They were not waiting for their savior, and yet when they arrived at the house where Jesus was, where the toddler lived, they saw him and Mary, and the the translation we had today says they were overjoyed, but in the Greek, it's super superfluous. In the Greek, it reads, um, they rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy. The Greek phrasing would say they rejoiced, kara, with uh, great joy, mega, like you know, Megatron, it's great. I don't know. I don't think Megatron says that. Oh, well, doesn't matter. Moving on. They rejoiced with exceedingly, Sephadra, great, Megale, joy. It doesn't just say they rejoiced. It doesn't just say they were filled with joy. It says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And then it says they fell, not they bowed down. Bow is this sanitary term, this this reverent term. No, no, they pesantes, they fell to their knees and they worshiped, proskuneo. They worshiped and gave gifts to this toddler who isn't even of their nation, of their heritage, and yet they're worshiping him as the king of the world. And then after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country. The character of the wise men to recognize the stirring in the world and to attribute it to Israel's God, to worship a child who is the king of the Jews, not their king, and then to return home to their lives with exceedingly great joy that they found in Bethlehem. That is really compelling to me. God is doing something in Israel, but it's not exclusively for Israel. It's for all the world. And there's a joy in what God is doing that is bursting at the seams, like a sponge that's overflowing. It can't help but drip. The world is taking notice, even as God is working through Israel and through the church. It's a term for this, a theological term. We call it common grace. And essentially it's the idea, uh, though, it's the idea that though God has chosen Israel, and has chosen the church for, um, for some special purpose. He doesn't work exclusively inside the church or inside Israel. His work can't be contained to just explicitly Christian um, 
things. It's It explodes their boundaries. It's all over the place. It's in the heavens. It's in the stars such that those who aren't Israelites notice that this God, the God of Israel, is doing something. Um, common grace is the idea that God doesn't just work through the church. He doesn't just uh, work through explicitly Christian things. He's everywhere. Uh, as C.S. Lewis puts it, who I think is a, a excellent proponent of sort of these wise men, <laughs> would be an interesting parallel. C.S. Lewis uh, grew up an atheist and um, became a Christian later on in life. But he remarks, after he's a Christian, he remarks, he goes, you know, a young man or woman wishing to remain an atheist cannot be too careful in their reading. And of course, his own story is that at age 18, uh, getting on a train right before World War I, he bought the book Fantasies by George MacDonald, which was not a Christian book, like explicitly Christian. It didn't mention the name of God or Jesus or any of the distinctive contours of the Christian story. It was a fairy romance. It was a mythical story. However, little did Lewis know that MacDonald was himself a Presbyterian pastor as well. And so as he writes, he goes, I had not the faintest notion what I had let myself in for by buying fantasies, but it baptized my imagination that night. That's his phrase. It baptized my imagination. He went to this book, this mythical story, and what he found there was joy. He found the elements of the gospel story, but not explicitly called the good news. And then he started reading more of McDonald's works and then reading some of McDonald's contemporaries. Um, And he started seeing that all of his favorite thinkers, G.K. Chesterton, Samuel Johnson, Herbert Spencer, John Milton, and even the classical Greek writers, Plato, Aeschylus, Virgil, they were, as he said, those on whom I could really feed There was something transcendent and powerful and exploding with joy. Even in their seminal forms, there was something there that didn't just inform his mind, but he fed his soul, his being fed upon. That we would call common grace. Such that he writes later on, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will miss it. Joy is real. Joy is is what's most real. Circumstances mitigate it. They pierce it. They subdue it. But joy, exceedingly overwhelming joy, is the stuff the earth is made of because it's the stuff of the maker. And it's overflowing everywhere. He can't contain it. God is unable to contain the joy of his salvation that fills the world and that is being restored in the world. To seek what is good if you're out there and you're, and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, and maybe you would, but to seek what is good, to seek what is true about the world, is eventually to follow a star that will lead directly over the house where Jesus is living. So you can't be too careful of your reading. Don't think that God is working only in the church. Joy cannot be contained, and it won't be stopped. Father, as we go forth this day, our prayer is that we would be aware of your joy, the joy of your salvation, the joy of the birth of the King, the King of Israel, yes, but the King of the entire world, that all nations, that, that, that all of us would be aware 
that you have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to love the world back to life, so to speak. And and you're not found just in the church. Yes, you should be found in the church. Your joy should be tangibly felt and experienced in those places which explicitly worship you. But you're not just there. You're everywhere. (laughs) You're in the stars. You're in the skies. Um, Your joy, your truth, your goodness, your generosity, your kindness, your grace, it's everywhere. It's dripping at the seams of the cosmos, seeking to explode through the brokenness in the world. So give us eyes to see. And for those here, Lord, listening in who wouldn't uh, call themselves followers of you or just trying to understand who you are and um, if you've been present in their stories for as long as I say that you have, um, Lord, would you just silence their minds, uh, silence their worries, their fears, their distractions, and speak right to their hearts? Would you show them the star and um, know that if they're truly seeking joy, they will be found by you. They will be led to the house where you stay, Jesus. We give you thanks, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of The Bite. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn and to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.